What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks. The best thing about this podcast is it hasn't happened yet. It's Sif Pop. Welcome to Sif Pop Weekly, streaming live most Fridays are available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. Wow. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and he was in the Amazon with your mom researching spiders. It's Andrew Ormsby, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Each week we will chat about movies, TV, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And please welcome our guest this week. She's not here to peddle her wares. Thank you very much. It's Courtney Lanning. Hey! I also steal ambulances. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. Uh, do those ambulances go at full speed towards the end of a dock for some reason? Sorry, I'm already into the review. It was they, a weird overhead do. shot. Uh that we will get to eventually. Uh, we are going to talk about Madam Web today. We are going to talk about drive away dolls as well. Ethan Cohen's uh, first, I think, first movie away from Joel. I don't think Ian's directed anything without uh, without Joel. Second, um, Courtney's going to Courtney's going to figure this out and make sure that we are correct. But uh, whatever we the have case, the technology. We yes, we do, we do things that should have been uh, researched by me beforehand. Uh, we're also going to do a best ever challenge, uh, Dakota Johnson movies, and of course our buried treasure as well. Before we get into it, a quick reminder: the Sposkers are coming soon. Uh, we will once again be doing a live show during the Oscars, talking about the different awards and keeping track of who has made the best picks until we get to a winner at the end of the night. So if you want to be involved, if you want to have fun with us, put your picks up against ours, see how well you can do, then you just need to go to siftpop.com, that's S-I-F-T-P-O-P.com, and click on where it says Sposkers. And you can make your picks, get them in, and then tune in on Oscars night to see how you do with the rest of the Sif Pop crew. So looking forward to that. Um, how are you guys feeling about the Oscars? You, you, are we getting excited for it? Is there anything you care about this year? Like, uh, Courtney, I haven't really talked to you about award season that much. Um, how are you feeling? You know, the number one thing that is always going to be on my mind, front and center at the Oscars, what everybody truly cares about, best animated feature. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I'm sensing a big push for Nimona in, in your world. Probably Nimona. Uh, could be Spider-Verse. I'd also be very happy with the boy and the heron. I'm just thrilled that Wish didn't even make the cut. It, as it shouldn't have. It wishes, <laughs> Wish may be one of the most terrible Disney movies ever made. I don't understand that movie. It's so... 
I say it's the most terrible, but it's only the most terrible, but just because it's so, uh, what do the kids say, mid? It's so mid. Like, there's nothing about it that's interesting or thought through or, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm glad it wasn't nominated as well. Anytime you find a way to suck the life out of Chris Pine, you know you've created an abomination. <laughs> yes. Yes, that is true. Uh, what about you, Andrew? I have not seen Wish. No. Um, <laughs> I Every single year when it comes to the Oscars, I, <laughs> I, I get this sense that I, my, all my picks are going to be garbage. But somehow every single year, you know, I, I, I somehow managed to pull it through. But again, this year, especially when it comes to best actor, I think that one is just up in the air for me. Normally, I'm, I'm fairly decent with picks, but it's between uh, Paul Giamatti and, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Bryn, uh, Bradley Cooper. It's between those two for me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pick uh, Anthony Hopkins to come in at the last second and somehow win it, even yes. though he wasn't nominated. That's uh, that's my official Oscars pick. Um, uh, that's what I see happening. Too late. That's on paper now. You can't change that. <laughs> Uh, I'm excited whatever happens. I'm excited to watch it with you guys. I'm excited to hang out again. It's been really fun. We have been live for some of the most interesting television moments in history, including, uh, a, an Oscar (laughs) ceremony. Yeah. That, that slapped, uh, for sure. Uh, so you can see our reactions to the slap live as they happen. Uh, you know, if you go back and watch that video and that's kind of part of the fun of doing this live is like, you you see us go through the same thing that everybody went through. Like, is this staged? Is it real? Yeah. What's going? No, he really seems angry. No, they're yelling at each other. They're upset. How is Chris Rock keeping his composure? How is Will Smith still in the building? Like all of these things, uh, you know, as we are going through it live. I do not. How I do awkward not, is it going to be when he wins? <laughs> <laughs> yes. The answer, very awkward. Very that awkward. is, that is so the answer. Awkward. You never know what's going to happen at the Oscars, but uh, what you do know is we're going to be there watching it live with you. So uh, come hang out with us and do that. Uh, it's the weekend of like March 12th, I think. Is that the Sunday that it's, that it's on? It's somewhere on mm-hmm. that weekend. Uh, yeah. excited to, to hang out with you guys and watch that. All right, we got some movies to review, so let's go ahead and get into it. Let's start by chatting about Madam Web. A week ago, I spent my life racing against time. I'm going to help you out today, okay? Trying to save people who are running out of it. Jackie! Until one moment changed everything. Come on! Welcome back to the land of the living. I don't understand what's happening. I've been having visions. I knew he was going to die. I think I'm seeing the future. Madam Web tells the standalone origin story of one of Marvel Publishing's most enigmatic heroines. The suspense-driven thriller stars Dakota Johnson as Cassandra Webb, a paramedic in Manhattan who develops the power to see the future and realizes she can use that insight to change it. Forced to confront revelations about her past, she forges a relationship with three young women bound for powerful destinies if they can all survive a deadly present. Uh, Sony continues to throw Spider-Verse spaghetti at the wall and try to see what sticks. And the question is... Does anything here stick? What did you guys think? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Andrew, your thoughts. 
They must have slacked that wall with Crisco because nothing's sticking here. <laughs> I'm hating this movie, man. Andrew hates it. Uh, Courtney, do you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? It was okay. Uh, so bad it's good. Uh, mm. I also really, really like Adam oh. Scott. So, so you what, managed what? to have a good time. Um, I did. I'm, I'm somewhere in between the two of you. Uh, I'm going to go on high side of didn't like it. So that's where I'm going to land up. Like just teetering into it was okay where you're at Courtney, but uh, I'm going to land in didn't like it um, because it's an abomination. But Courtney, you liked it uh, more than, than us. So speak on uh, the joys of watching Dakota Johnson and Madam Webb. So I think I'm in a very small camp. Uh, I have found some way to enjoy all of Sony's little Spider-Man adjacent movies. Uh, I like the buddy slash romance of Eddie and Venom and Venom 2. Uh, mm-hmm. I liked Morbius. I thought it was very campy fun. And Madam Web, to me, I found a way to enjoy it. It was so bad it was good. You know, It's not a good movie. I, I'm not saying it's a good movie. I still had fun watching it. Yeah. Um, so what, so uh, just help me out because, uh, I, di- <laughs> I, I didn't have fun. What specifically made it fun for you? Like what, what parts of it really worked for you that made it a fun experience or, or was it just like, this is, this is terrible. This is ridiculous. I'm laughing at how in the world this got made. Like, is it that kind of so bad it's good? Or was there actual stuff you were like, Oh no, this is fun. No, I think it is mostly so bad it's good for me, but um, I think I'm so worn out on a lot of Marvel's latest stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm worn out on whatever it is DC has tried doing over the last year or two, uh, that these Sony movies that are a, a throwback to the early 2000s you know, comic book movies where the effects don't look good, the writing doesn't make any sense, it's very cheesy I the think main, it's the main villain speaks in only ADR. Uh, ADR. Hey, <laughs> don't always... steal my jokes, Aaron. Don't steal my jokes. I got plenty of. I got <laughs> uh, all of that together. I just, I guess, I find it kind of refreshing. You know, if if I'm looking at Marvel offering up Secret Invasion and Quantum Mania, and I'm mm-hmm. looking at Sony offering up Morbius and Madam Web, I'd watch Morbius and Madam Web three more times before I watch Quantum Mania once because that throwback to the early 2000s. We know it's going to be bad, but we're going to have a good time anyway. Uh, and again, I really do like Adam Scott. And I feel like, you know, he he comes in, he does his Parks and Rec bit as, uh, do we want to spoil whoever he's no, playing? No, no, we don't. Okay. But it's but it's wild how this movie tries to connect itself. Yeah. It does. Um, and I feel like, Whoa. you know, in, in Dakota Johnson's defense, she does the best she can with what she's given. She's not given a lot, uh, but I feel like, you know, she tries to bring some charismatic performances here despite being swallowed up by a tsunami of mid writing, mm-hmm. as the kids say. Um, I, I, I remain unconvinced, but I will say that um, I, I think I, I think I understand what you're saying with uh, so bad it's good in that I went into this movie with such low expectations word on the street I don't watch anything but it had even gotten through to me that this was a terrible uh, movie before I even went in to watch it and so I I went in just going oh this is going to be you know 
um, terrible. And so with my lowered expectations, it's a lot less annoying. When you go in with lowered expectations, I think you're a lot less annoyed at things, or at least I am personally, because like, oh, yeah, I, I knew this was going to be, you know, um, ridiculous and terrible. And it allowed me to see some things in the movie that I may not have seen if I was if my eyes were rolled back in my head so far that I couldn't, you know, see them. So um, one of those being for me is I think this movie has the bones of an interesting tale like there's there's an interesting thing this movie could have done um with ideas of like a maternal love that it thinks it's doing like that it's trying to do like that theme is draped over this movie uh in a in a very real way but because of the poor writing and the clunky plotting and the clear way this movie has been chopped to pieces and put together to be something it you know clearly wasn't originally intended to be um in my opinion uh that it just it doesn't quite work but that idea of this character as a mom to these three and the mother-daughter stuff that she deals with that she comes to peace with and figures out what maternal sacrifice looked like in her life like all that stuff is interesting to play in like we all know nine out of every 10 movies is about fathers and sons because dudes direct nine out of every 10 movies. And it's nice to kind of see a movie about mothers and daughters. And, you know, there are plenty of movies about mothers and daughters, but it would be nice to see a big budget superhero movie that was talking about those things. Um, this just isn't the movie to make it really work. But I, I was at least engaged by um, some of the stuff that was going on there uh, with, the uh, you know, um, the mothering, the mother aspect uh, of of it all. So, um, so yeah. Andrew, did you have anything uh, you wanted to say positive, on the positive no. end of this movie you hate? No, I don't. I honestly don't have any positives for it. So you don't think Dakota Johnson was at least somewhat entertaining? Not at all. She's one of my <laughs> least favorite parts about the movie. I know that was a joke, but but honestly, you know what? I will say this: she was not the worst part of the movie for me. I think Tahar Rahim. Really disappointed me. Really yeah. disappointed me. Talk about it. Uh, like you mentioned, uh, uh, it's a team. He takes the cake in my utter disappointment without, with what I can only assume was a performance so bad they had ADR almost all of his lines. I have I, no idea what. It's either I, I, that's so bad or the movie got changed so much that the character had to be completely different. And so they had to like change all the dialogue. Um, my understanding is that originally this was supposed to be in the nineties and then they moved it to the early two thousands, by the way, both movies today, early two thousands girls road trips. Like this is like, you know, yeah. theme day. It's Sif pop. Um, these movies are identical is what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> let's, let's not go that far, Aaron. This is what happens when girls go on road trips. Terrible things. happen. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I, I'll let you continue with other things about the, the main villain that, that, you know, we're off putting to you, but I just, I feel like something had to change in the plot that changed every single thing about that character because it was, it was terrible. It was, it was just, it was like watching a bad dub at times. Like it was really bad. Yeah. It was I'll really tell bad. You. Okay. No, no, I was done. I would just say I think, really bad. I think it, and this is this is a very out there connection, but it's it's in the 
the web. I think what sort of laid the groundwork for this movie and how corny it was going to be for me uh, was next with Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this movie, I mean, that movie already seems like a great value version of a movie. This seems like a great value version of a great value version of a movie. Um, but that ability to see a couple seconds into the future, tweak a couple things around. Or a I, few I was, minutes into the future, depending on what minutes, the, the yeah. scene needs. Yeah. Uh, they played uh, that trailer some... before the uh, the movie uh, when I went and saw it. By the way, the next trailer, the the Nick Cage movie, that was one of the the trailers before Madam Web uh, at the Alamo. So they always do fun oh. stuff like that. Um, just so for somebody in our chat and maybe anybody who's listening who had the same question, yeah. ADR is automated dialogue uh, replacement. It is basically what movies do when they're taking the the dialogue that was said on set into the boom mics or the microphones there and changing it and having somebody come in afterwards and rec- try to record and match it up with you know what they're doing, try to match up their lips in the movie, or in this case, just take the shots from behind them so they don't have to worry about the, the, the lips. So yeah, that's what ADR yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, beyond the ADR though, I had a lot of problems with... Uh, the Tahar Rahim character, his, I could, I could get behind the, the premise of what drives him from a villain standpoint. I know that these three girls are going to come after me one day. I got to kill them now. It's very Terminator. I can get behind it, you know? Um, but the, the character design and the way that the characters formed the writing around it, nothing about it works the especially the character design like what are you even trying to you're trying so hard not to say the word spider-man that you're getting spider-man all over this non-spider-man movie it, the, but the movie barely sp- spider-man's like it, it like there's yeah. there's barely any spider-man going on like that's, you know that's what a I mean? good verb i like that verb <laughs> it's spider-man's <laughs> Um, spider persons <laughs> like there's 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 one final set piece and there's a there's a piece at the diner and a piece in traffic the piece in the diner and the piece in traffic nothing really happens except for just a, a little you know see the future ex machina kind of stuff like that's all that that really happens there's not a lot of action in this action superhero movie um, so yeah it's it's really interesting that it that it is supposed to be in the Spider-Man universe when there's just not a lot of Spider-Man going on around. So, yeah. Um, other thoughts? I If you take I the did. firework to the face, it'll paralyze you. <laughs> yes, that is what happens. I, I did get a kick out of the fact that they didn't even bother putting in an after credits clip. Uh, you oh, know... Yeah. Morbius made a big deal about, oh, we've got the vulture in this universe now. And and with this one, they were just like, look, we know you probably didn't even stay till the credits. There's no way. <laughs> There's nothing we can stick after here. So we're not even going to bother. Yeah. Even Aquaman 2 had an after credits. And you know that universe was being destroyed. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot of fun tearing down movies. So I don't, I don't want to keep like going on about how terrible this movie is, but um, yeah, Andrew, that's what you're boat. here for. So. Oh, um. okay. 
<laughs> I was get, I was getting a little sense of camaraderie, like, yeah, I don't want to sit here tearing down a movie, but no, okay, let's turn this whole 180. I can tear down a movie if you want me to. No, uh, I can't. I can't tear down a movie without getting into spoilers because a lot of my issues with this movie are like minute details of things that just don't add up. Mm. But I can't get into them without you know getting into spoilers and stuff. I will say that the product placement for Pepsi in this is absolutely atrociously bad. I mean, it's Power it's Rangers so, Krispy Kreme bad, isn't it? Like it's it's, it's, it's really bad. It's terrible. Okay, yeah. but let's compare that to a movie like Sonic the Hedgehog, which has Olive Garden in place of mm-hmm. the Pepsi sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Also bad. Okay, yeah. but the fact that Sonic was a better movie, we we overlooked the sponsorship or No, we do not. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just wanted a, I wanted a clear sense of the rules here at Sift Bob. No, no, it could be just, it could be Lord of the Rings, and if Lord of the Rings was hawking, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Xbox controllers, we would still give it uh, uh, everything else look good about Lord of the Rings. That would be a different movie. If they had I, any, it would be a very different movie. I, I guess I figured with a brand like Sift Pop, you were going to give a little break to the pop in the sponsorship for this <laughs> no, movie. No. And that didn't happen. No, no. Uh, the only break I would ever give to product placement is the self-aware, you know, hold the pizza Wayne's hut World. box and pizza hut up uh, kind of thing. And honestly, after Wayne's world did it, I kind of don't even give grace for that anymore because it's been done. And it's like, you know, yeah, I yeah. get that joke. I've seen that joke before. I, I like that a little bit more than just this absolute shoehorning of brands that is, you know, happening in a lot of movies. Um, but then there's the other side of me that's like, yeah, but I kind of want to keep seeing movies. So make your money how you can make your money. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they can make their movie however they want to, but they got to stop making hundred million or two hundred, three hundred million dollar movies. Yeah. You don't yeah. need that much money to make a movie. Then you don't have to rely on uh, sponsorships like that anymore. Yeah. Um, do we listen? It's not happening. I mean, it would be a crazy world if it happened. But do we want any way to see a sequel from this movie? Like, would we be? Is there any way to save this concept um, in your guys's mind? Let me say this real quick. Uh, there's a lot of false marketing with this movie. Because this movie markets, there's there's been a lot of false marketing with movies lately, and it's driving me insane. It really. Well, is. I would argue that the history of movies has been mostly false uh, marketing. Uh, so yeah. But don't you see that it's getting out of hand? Like I think of Argyle or how they're not marketing movies properly, like with uh, Mean Girls, The Color Purple. Uh, what was the other one that was a musical Wonka. that they're just not marketing? Well, thank you. Yeah, they're uh, not marketing these movies properly. And in this one, they market uh, the three young girls as already being superheroes. Like this Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. It shows them in their outfits and stuff. So you think it's going to be this team-up superhero film, but it's not. Um, It's very much Terminator. uh, And it's very bad Terminator. Yeah. Well, see, but but you weren't going to win on the superhero aspect, because when the trailer came out and they did have these, these girls in their costumes, the number one thing I kept seeing in online discourse is great. They found a way to make the CW shows look good. 
So even if they had put these, <laughs> even if they had put these characters in here in these costumes, even if they had given them some superpower uh-huh. fights, you were going to have people complaining about the fact that they looked terrible, that the costumes weren't right, et cetera, et cetera. So whether you put the costumes in there, whether you leave them out, I don't think there's a, a winning path to go down when it comes to that particular I, element of the movie. I know a winning path. Make a great costume. That's that's a winning path. Like it doesn't have to be like lowest common denominator kind of superhero stuff. Like you can actually, you know, design cool stuff. Um, but the I think the point that that Andrew is making, uh, if I may hijack it a little bit, is one uh, that uh, I would um, uh, also agree with. Is that there is something interesting about this female superhero team that the marketing promises? I didn't know the marketing promised it, but even in just watching the movie, there's something interesting there that the movie is just not interested in. This movie is just not interested in them as a superhero team. It's interested in them as surrogate daughters uh, for um, Dakota Johnson, and you know, um, that's you know, I don't know. I just don't. I don't find that as interesting, at least in the way it was. Uh, delivered through this movie. Um, but a sequel, I don't know. I, I, I th- Again, I think there's something interesting here. Although uh, the, what we're presented with of who Madam Webb is at the end is so different than anything we've seen up until like five seconds before the end that, you know, like I'm just going... Is that from a? Is that from the sequel? Like, what are we watching here? Like, it, it just it it kind of made no sense um, to me what they showed at the end. Like, I couldn't figure it out. Um, do but, yeah. now you're not alone. Do do I want a sequel to everything we've talked about? No. Do I want a sequel to the last five seconds? I might be open to that. Yeah, that's what uh, I'm saying. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah I don't. I, I don't have. I wouldn't have any issue if you know we had a sequel where the uh, you know the three girls get their powers through some sort of spider-related incidents, uh, where we see Adam Scott's character come into his own in a further story, where we see the the Madam Web who's already in her chair and has a pretty good sense of what time travel looks like for her. Yeah, I'd, I'd be totally open with that, but. You could also make the the argument that that's what this movie should have been in the first place. Yeah, I I, I got to be honest. I'll take a Birds of Prey uh, sequel long before I take a sequel to this. I think Birds of Prey does a lot of what this movie is trying to do so much better. Um, and uh, and I'd say watch that instead of this. That'd be my my uh, my final thing. You guys have any uh, one last thing you want to share? Uh, it's already been mentioned, but no post credit scene. It's true. Thankfully, anything else, Courtney? I guess we'll see how Craven the Hunter does. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I feel seriously. like when it, when it comes to these these Sony Spider-Man adjacent movies, you can basically put them in two camps. People seem to like Venom 1 and 2 for the most part, for what they are. People didn't seem to enjoy Morbius or Madam Web, so you're split right down the middle. We'll see where Craven lands. All right. Uh, there you go. That is Madam Web. I don't think you need to check it out, but maybe just to have a good laugh. Uh, maybe maybe Courtney's right. Maybe there's something about just going and being a part of it, and you'll enjoy it even though you know it's ridiculous. So It's also uh, so like you whenever go. you're driving by a car wreck, you know, you can't help but watch, you know? It's one of those yes. things. So maybe you want to self-masochist, and you just want to... 
torture yourself for an hour and a half. If I'm oh. if I'm driving by a car wreck, I'm trying not to be involved in the wreck. Now, if I'm driving by the results of a car wreck, then yeah, I may I may rubber neck a little bit, but that's that's a that's a little dis, little semantic distinction. But yeah, I mean, Fair enough. you could basically say this is going to be on Netflix here because I'm pretty sure Sony has a distribution deal with Netflix. Uh, this will be on Netflix in what. 60, 90 days. If you really want to 60, watch it, that's 90 the place minutes. to do it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, all right, let's move on to our next review. Let's talk a little bit about Drive Away Dolls. Hello, girls. It's the last body shot competition, so we are going to salt you up. I've had it with love. I don't believe it's relevant to the 21st century lesbian. You're not wearing that. I just came from work. I came from Toledo. I don't dress like it. I'm not here to peddle my wares. I'm leaving town. I am too. That was my plan. Where are you going? Tallahassee, Florida. I've been unhappy. That's why we take this trip together, honey, babe. We get our act together together. Written by Ethan Cohen and Trisha Cook, this comedy caper follows Jamie, an uninhibited free spirit, bemoaning yet another breakup with a girlfriend, and her demure friend Marion, who desperately needs to loosen up. Well, that's one way to put it. In search of a fresh start, the two embark an impromptu road trip to Tallahassee, or Tallahassee, but things quickly go awry when they cross paths with a group of inept criminals along the way. Uh, As mentioned, Ethan Cohen is directing this uh, it is not a Coen Brothers movie. It is just uh, Ethan, written by Ethan and Trisha. Um, what did you guys think of Drive Away Dolls? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Courtney, kick us off. Well, to revisit the earlier conversation, uh, I looked it up. Apparently, Ethan did have a movie in 2022. It was a documentary called Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, Trouble in Mind. Ah, so first narrative solo yes. directing. Yes. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Uh, As for the movie itself, I'm not going to say this was so bad it's good. It was just good to me. I had a great time with this movie. Um, But I also think that a lot of the mileage you get out of this movie uh, will depend on whether or not you are a lesbian like the main two characters. I I think that's going to factor into it, at least a little bit. Uh, I loved this movie. I laughed a lot. Uh, I enjoyed the fact that this movie was not scared to come in with an under 90 minute runtime in a world where too many movies blow up to two and a half, three hours when they don't need to. I respected that this one wheeled in, said what it needed to say and darted out at what I want to say an hour and 24 minutes thereabouts. Uh, so I'm going to say that's a loved it. So is that yes, a, lo- loved that's a loved it very much? Um, all right, Andrew, what about you? Like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? I said, liked it. High side of liked it. Uh, well, I'm going to be the lowest on this, I think. I think this movie, I'm on the high side of just okay. Um, I I will talk about reasons why later, but for now, let's talk about why this movie is so good. Uh, Courtney, you liked it the most, so talk a little bit more about the, the things that you really liked in Driveway Dolls. Uh, I'm not going to harp too much on the identity stuff, because obviously we, we get a lot of that in, in the real world. I will just say... We don't get a lot of lesbian movies, one or two a year, maybe. So you you got to take what you can get. And I feel like this one kind of knocked it out of the park for me. I liked the quirky characters. Uh, I liked that you had your typical Cohen fingerprints through it with a lot of really wacky people and, and hijink situations. 
uh, I felt like our main characters here between Jamie and Marion had a lot of chemistry with each other. I like the way that their, their romance slowly unfolded as they came together for a surprisingly tender love story. And this is probably the most out of left field thing, but to me, um, being a native Arkansan, I kind of saw some Charles Portis elements in the story here. Uh, if you've read any stuff like Norwood or Dog of the South, any of his more screwball comedies, uh, this kind of feels like a rated R version of one of those. And I I just felt like that really added to the, the oddballness of this really quirky, uh, hippie-ish kind of time capsule movie. Yeah. Um, I will say, Courtney, we're not afraid to talk about the identity stuff uh, here at Sif Pop. And I think it's a big part of the importance of a movie like this is the identity stuff and the ability for so many different segments of, uh, you know, our population, our community to be able to see themselves uh, on screen more. And one of the things I loved about this, and I'll go ahead and take over, uh, the primary thing I really loved about this movie was its sexual frankness. And when I, when I say that, um, what I mean is Hollywood has sold this idea of sexuality for so long that it's this only this certain type of thing. And I don't just mean, you know, heterosexuality versus homosexuality, those kind of things. I mean that it's people who look this way, that's what's sexy, that it's moving this way that is sexy, that it's this kind of candle lighting and this kind of music and, you know, this is what sex is. And this movie is sexually frank in a way that goes, sex is also kind of ridiculous. It's kind of silly. And this movie is frank enough and explicit enough for us to be able to, I think, understand that in a way that very few movies do. Now, the perspective it's coming uh, from, I think, is a big part of that. Uh, as well, but um, I just I, more I think there needs to be not only more perspectives shown in cinema, but also a wider uh, view of just what being human is about. And so I think this movie does that um, really, really well. It's probably my favorite part about the movie. Um, Andrew, what are some of the things you liked about Driveway Dolls? I think that Margaret and Geraldine are sensational together. The odd couple friendship works. Uh, anything beyond the friendship with, I kind of struggle with, I will admit, um, just because I didn't think that there was a natural progression uh, to the romance part you mean of that beyond, relationship. You mean anything beyond their friendship together, so their romantic interest you struggled with? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, yeah. okay. Like, it, I was the just movie starts clear. off with, with – okay, yeah. Yeah, the movie starts off with them being friends, and uh, I guess maybe it was just too quick or too rash for – especially the Geraldine Geraldine's character to uh, loosen up enough, I guess you could say to uh, let her freak flag fly, I guess is what you could call it. I don't know. I never but, uh, feel like the character. I mean, I'm trying not to get too much into spoil spoilers, but I don't feel like yeah, the me personality of that character changes. I, I feel like they just find uh, an openness to their existing self. I don't think they, like you say, let your freak flag fly. I don't think the character ever really does that. I don't think that's them. Um, and I think the, the movie is making a point in some ways about, again, the difference the between, yeah. And how people um, interact and have relationships. Um, I, I think most of the character evolution comes from Jamie mm-hmm, uh, rather than it does Marion, because you start off this movie on this road trip where Jamie is clearly just out to get Marion late. You know, she just wants her to, she admits, 
haven't had sex in three years. Uh, Jamie goes, great. We're going to hit some bars. We're going to find you someone to be with one night stand. Boom, boom, boom. And I feel like Jamie comes to slowly realize over the course of this road trip, that Marion's just not a, a one night stand kind of person. So if she's going to be with somebody, it needs to be with someone she trusts. It needs to be someone that she's uh, careful and considerate with and someone who's going to really take care of her. And Jamie realizes there's really only one person in the world that's going to be, it's going to be me. Uh, so, so let's do it. And the fact that Marion is open to that, I think kind of shows that most of the, the character evolution takes place with Jamie, our resident Texan. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and I think there's a, there's a message painted on the trunk of the car that I think serves as the, that character change. I think that is a, a, a literal, literally a literal uh, interpretation of the character development of that character from what's written on the trunk at the beginning to what we see written on the trunk at the end. And I think that's what the movie is saying and kind of like it, kind of like it. So uh, what else, what else do you guys want to talk about before I tell you why I didn't like this movie as much as I, as you guys did? Oh, I have cons, but uh, I think this film we haven't mentioned is very funny. I think that the quick dialogue mixed with, Southern accents and social awkwardness is just a winning combination for hilarity to ensue. It's uh, it's really quick dialogue, something that you can expect from Coen brothers, not like quite Aaron Sorkin quick dialogue, mm-hmm. but the, um, <laughs> the tit for tat going back and forth, especially with Margaret's character. So funny. I, I thoroughly enjoyed like from beginning to end. I, I really enjoyed the, the comedy in this one. I will I will jump on your point to say Beanie Feldstein is amazing in this movie and is my I I think the only person who works the dialogue the way it's supposed to be worked. I didn't think anybody else nailed it like she did. And that was one of my problems with this movie is I ha- I felt the manufacturedness of the dialogue a lot with the other uh characters. It f- it felt like they were trying to say the script and not necessarily something that was coming from them. When Beanie Feldstein was on screen, I was like, oh no, that's that character. Like it's coming from inside <laughs> of her, you know? And uh, and I just didn't have that experience with everybody else. So I guess it's kind of a, a pro and con for me because I hear what you're saying, but I really kind of only experienced it with the Beanie Feldstein uh, character. Uh, that's unfortunate because I me. felt it with many people. In that's this. great. I, I wish I had for sure. For yeah. sure. Uh, you you want to talk about... Um false marketing sort of transitioning from mm. from the previous thing. Um, I remember watching the trailer and seeing, oh, Pedro Pascal is in this movie. I, I like Pedro Pascal. <laughs> um, and then he, he is in this even less than Henry Cavill is in Argyle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pedro pa- Pascal is not really in this movie. Um, it yeah. is, it is a cameo. It's a cameo. It's a cameo. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a straight cameo. Um, but every single time I saw him, I went head over heels. Yes, you did. I, I see what you did there. Um, what else can we talk about? I guess I could say I, the other part of the dialogue, um, I don't know if it's because I know that Ethan did this without Joel, but I feel like there's just part of the spark missing with the tone of this movie. It feels a little more slapdash than I'm used to Cohen stuff feeling. Cohen stuff has always felt quirky to me. It's always felt interesting. 
um, it's always been a little bit different and a little bit elevated, like an elevated reality. Um, but the transitions in this, like they felt like I could do, like I could have done them, you know, 20 years ago, I could have done them when this movie came out on my computer. Um, you know, there's this, there's this weird interlude stuff that I, I know what it is. Like, I know what the movie is saying that is like, we eventually get to understanding what that interlude is about. The payoff the, isn't worth it. But, but it's not, it's not. And it's just, it's just, I, I, I feel like I, I feel like a lot of this movie is Ethan trying to figure out what it means for him to direct a movie. And it just, it feels a little clunky and chopped together uh, for me, which impacts the ability of the tone to land for me. So the tone wasn't always landing for me because, because of that perceived clunkiness uh, on my part. So I, when it comes to the editing, I, I kind of go down the middle of the road a little bit. Uh, I see what you're saying, how, some of the effects, especially with, you know, the tie-dye transitions mm -hmm. and whatnot, I definitely felt like those went on a little too long. But at the same time, yeah. anytime you had, like, the the crack of the whip or, like, the tumble of the camera, I felt like that just added more of a unique identity to the movie because you don't see a lot of those transitions, a lot of those edits used in modern cinema. Um, and I just, and I would like that, say for a reason, I would say for, sure, there's, sure. there's a reason they're for not a reason, used. but you know, for this movie to be such a throwback to like an exploitation kind of film that, that you would be used to seeing 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, I feel like those transitions just fold in to the late nineties of this movie with the, with the Rolodexes and the payphones and whipping out the Atlas to, to chart your path with a marker down the interstate, things like that. I think it all folds together into the time capsuleness of this movie and the editing to me just sinks into that nicely. I think there's a, there's a possibility that you mentioned how quick this movie is in and out like 120 or whatever, 124, I think is what you said. I think there's a possibility Ethan assembled a cut and it was like an hour long. And, and he was like, you know, how do we make these, you know, and then all that tie dye stuff was added just to, you know, space out the transitions to get to feature length. Like, that's kind of how it feels to me um, at times. That is probably wrong. Oh, it was it probably in a the script. Film. But, um, but, uh, but that's what it feels like, uh, you know, for I me. I could see a little bit of that. When I remember looking at the casting list after I'd watched the movie and I went, Miley Cyrus was in this? What did you... Oh, so, yeah. Definitely you get some of those moments where these um, just very trippy transitional tie-dye scenes, they they just make up a little too much of the movie for me. Yeah. No, yeah, the audience is sitting there wondering, like, okay, yeah, we've seen these transitions before. They're, it's going on way too long. Get back to the movie. Yeah, I, I, I was feeling that way. Um, I can tell you there were members of, of the audience uh, where uh, that I saw this with that were feeling a certain way because they left. There were three walkouts on this uh, movie. I haven't experienced that in a long time. Of course, we live in the buckle of the Bible Belt, and like I like I don't. I don't think it was the homosexuality. I think it was the explicit sexuality. I think, you know, this movie starts off literally with a bang. Like this is, you know, this yeah. is a movie that is going to let you know right away, uh, you know, what kind of movie it is. And I think for those people that are like, yeah, I, di I didn't, I didn't sign up for, for this. Uh, and so they left. Yeah. The, uh, the I, Coens aren't known for doing raunchy comedies. 
so no and I, I you know i wonder if that's maybe more of uh ethan's personality maybe that was something he wanted to to get more into the rated r aspect of things what were you gonna say courtney well i i don't know exactly where you would cut the credit for the film right down to the percentage points but mm-hmm. one thing i think we have to keep in mind with this movie is Ethan definitely directed the movie, but he co-wrote it with his wife, Trisha Cook, who also edited. um, And she injected a lot of the lesbian identity into this movie. So when you're seeing Mm -hmm. all of the things that I loved, uh, the commentary on lesbian hookup culture, the commentary on what it's like to be gay in America before the Supreme Court had said, yeah, you guys can go ahead and get married. Mm -hmm. Um, what What gay bars were like. I was blown away by the fact that this movie set in what 99 or just a couple years after that 91 was it 91 no 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 they were talking about y2k it was it was it was yeah 99 yeah it was Um, late it was late 90s the end of the Clinton uh, years is is what they were talking about so I don't think Bush had been elected yet but yeah Yeah. but um every little podunk town they hit somehow had a lesbian bar (laughs) <laughs> and you fast forward to today and there are maybe five or six lesbian bars left in the entire United States, which uh, again gets back to Trisha Cook sort of injecting her experience as a gay woman into this movie. And so a lot of this, you know, does this feel like Ethan Cohen? Is this Ethan Cohen directing by himself? It's kind of hard to, to figure out mm-hmm. what's him, what's his wife, how did it come together? Um, and how exactly does it make this little bit of an uneven tone that we've been talking about? Yeah, I I haven't done a lot of research on their relationship either, but they have a very non-traditional relationship. The two of them is married. I think they've been married over 30 years and it's, um, it's, it's something I think that is interesting to look at and in its regards to how it impacts like, this movie, I think you're right. I think Trisha probably has a, a a lot to to say here that Ethan is putting on the screen for her in uh, in many ways. So um, so yeah, it's uh, I definitely hear what you're saying uh, in in agree. Uh, well, any other? Like I, go ahead. Oh, sorry, just one more point, real quick. Yeah. Um, when I got home and I was sort of talking to my wife about the movie, I was like, "Yeah, it had this and this, and then you know, these commentary was really interesting." this movie wouldn't have gotten made without Ethan Cohen's name on it, which is kind of a commentary on the state of Hollywood. You talk about um, not a lot of movies made from the perspective of, you know, not just mother daughter elements, but superhero mother daughter elements. Um, The fact that Ethan Cohen was the name on this and the fact that this movie wouldn't have gotten made without his name on it, I think kind of speaks to the current state of, where we are with getting movies like this made in the first place. Um, and I, I guess that it's good that this movie got made to me, but it's also a little frustrating that you're not going to see Hollywood making experimental movies like this without these guaranteed. Uh, I don't think you're going to, I don't think you're going to see Hollywood making experimental movies at all, which is unfortunate. Like I just, I just think they're, they're really going to buckle down and do what they think can make, you know, them the most money. Um, but then again, you know, something will break out and it's just like, how did that make $500 million? And so, you know, we'll, we'll see the, the, the landscape is changing so much. It's going to be really interesting to see what movies get made over the next few years. Um, as we kind of figure out what the new normal is. 
Uh, any final thoughts? One last thing about uh, driveway dolls. Uh, no post credit scene. <laughs> I I will say, and this is a very fringe connection. Um, my favorite movie of all time, and you know this if you follow me on Twitter, uh, is Twister. I love Twister. Been to the Twister Museum, mm-hmm. and uh, Joey Slotnick was in this movie, and I didn't realize it was him, and that he played one of the storm chasers for Bill and Joe until I went again and looked at the cast list, and I went, "Hang on a minute." That was the guy from Twister. <laughs> he looks so much like Paul Giamatti. It's not even funny. <laughs> Are we talking about Curly? I mean, I don't know him well enough to call him no. that. But oh, no, he's okay. one of the thugs. The oh, yeah, Mr. Yeah, Sensitivity yeah. guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Um, all right. So that's our review of Twisters, which we got an early screening of. And uh, and we're, we're able to see. Uh, no, it is not that. It is driveaway dolls. Uh, so yeah, you can uh, check that out at your local theater. Um, we had various opinions on it, but I think we all thought uh, that we're glad it got made and is worth a watch. So uh, oh, yeah. driveaway dolls is the name of the movie. All right, before we head on to the best ever challenge today, a uh, reminder that you can support what goes on here at Sift Pop at Patreon, patreon.com slash Sift Pop. Uh, thank you so much for doing that. We appreciate that. We uh, record a little show uh, every uh, every time we can to give to our members so they have a little bit bonus content. Uh, again, you can check that out, uh, everything about it at Patreon. Patreon.com slash SIFPOP is where you would go to do that. Um, and thank you. Really appreciate it. Keeps us going. Keeps the website going. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Uh, all right, let's get into this best ever challenge. Uh, best ever Dakota Johnson movies. Um, she's been in some good movies, despite uh, Madam Web. Um, so not a ton of movies, so I imagine there'll be a lot of crossover here. And if there is crossover, of course, Trump! Uh, you can trump it if you have it higher so that we'll talk about it at its highest ranking. We'll go number five to number one, and Andrew's going to kick us off. What is your number five Dakota Johnson movie, movie that Dakota Johnson has been in? Black Mass. Yeah. Johnny Depp. This I had that in my honorable not good. <laughs> but uh, I've only seen five Dakota Johnson movies, it turns out, and <laughs> one of them. I will say this. Johnny Depp is great in this movie the movie itself is not good but he is transformed and he is truly terrifying as a whitey bulger yeah yeah this movie's not great i don't think it's terrible but it's not great um let's go to courtney what do you got at number five uh 
I too have only seen five Dakota Johnson movies. Oh, fun times. You will be surprised to see that my number five was Madam Web. Oh, Oh. what'd you think? (laughs) So I shocker. I had a bit of fun with this movie. It wasn't good, but uh, again, I, I felt like she did the best she could. And that's, that's saying something when you got a movie like Madam Web. There you go. I just, I like, I'm sorry. I will describe some things for those just listening to the audio, but the Madam Web poster is up. And as Andrew mentioned, all the girls in like have their superhero counterparts in the poster, right? Like in the little mirror shards in the poster. And Mm -hmm. they're just not that much a part of the movie. Also, there's a cutout of the Statue of Liberty in the New York skyline in the M and the W as if New York City is a huge part of this movie somehow. Like, um, just in, I'm sorry. It was just noticing. Get him, Aaron. Get him. Some weird stuff there. <laughs> uh, anyways, Courtney's number five is Madam Web. My number five, I don't remember Dakota Johnson being in, but Letterboxd told me she was, so I'm counting it. Uh, I'm going with 21 Jump Street uh, at number Trump. five. Trump. All right, on to our number fours. Andrew, what do you got at number four? This is where I have the peanut butter falcon. Trump. Uh, Courtney, what do you got at number four? I have 21 Jump Street. Trump. Trump. All right. Uh, my number four is The Lost Daughter. Um, I think this oh, movie yeah. is great. Um, uh, this movie Me just too. came and went. It's Olivia Coleman. Uh, it's about a seaside vacation that goes terribly, terribly awry in a variety of ways. Uh, I think the human elements to this are really interesting. And Dakota Johnson is great in this movie. I love her character in this movie. Um, uh, I think this one is uh, really well directed, really well acted. And if you didn't get a chance to see it when it came out, uh, let me just give it a shout out. The Lost Daughter is good. Uh, it is my number four. Uh, all right, so I think that moves us on to number threes. Is that correct? Andrew, what is your number so. three Dakota Johnson film? This is where I have 21 Jump Street. All right, let's talk about it. Three, four, and five. We have it down the line. I have no idea where Dakota Johnson is in this movie. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> like, not a, not a clue. I remember Brie Larson. I remember Jonah Hill. And I remember Channing Tatum. Um, I'm Pretty sure she kisses Channing Tatum. Really? Mm. Wow. I'm gonna. Have yeah, to- I just don't remember it. I, I yeah. you know, I, when I saw this movie, I don't think I was like Dakota Johnson aware, probably. So you know, that may be it. That may yeah. Be it. But I will say this movie is absolutely hilarious. I think that it's just perfect chemistry between Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. Um, I had no expectations for this movie when it was coming out. I'm like, what? The remake in the Johnny Depp TV show? I I, okay, sure. And it blew me away. Absolutely hilarious. Uh, yeah, really good movie. Yeah, we all lament the sequels that never got made uh, after 22. Um, <laughs> would have loved to have seen them all. All yep. 59 of them. <laughs> I had this movie at number five. I think it's hilarious. Courtney, you had it at number four. Do you have any oh, further, th- further thoughts? I mean, yeah, what else can be said? Uh, Dakota Johnson's role is very minor uh it was very blip and you miss it i'm pretty sure but yeah it's hilarious uh great chemistry between the two uh even the trailer 
just the trailer by itself is is almost a really good movie just by how funny it is yeah yeah all right uh courtney that brings us to your number three i have bad times at the el royale Trump. all right my number three has been mentioned my number three is the peanut butter falcon um i think this movie is really sweet and really fun um well acted and uh and you know tugs on the heartstrings i think in all the right ways uh so yeah if you haven't seen the peanut butter falcon highly recommend it um some great stuff going on this in, in this movie so uh andrew you had it at number four is that right Mm, yes very endearing movie just like you said tugs at the heartstrings and it's unlike anything you're gonna see it's very original film beautiful story you uh you want nothing but good things for everybody in the film yep uh that is the peanut butter falcon all right on to our number twos andrew what is your number two get the trump button ready the social network Trump. All right. What is your number two, Courtney? I also have the social network. See, we didn't need to Trump, but we all have the social network at number two. Uh, oh, okay. Well, there you go. Uh, Andrew, talk about it. Wow. I was really not expecting this. <laughs> I was expecting somebody <laughs> to have it at number one. Um, uh, yeah. It's not based on reality. It's based on a book. So just keep that in mind going in. But man, what a fascinating performance by Jesse Eisenberg. And Aaron Sorkin just knows how to write quippy dialogue. And I think that that's the perfect combination. I think Jesse Eisenberg knows how to deliver Aaron Sorkin dialogue better than anyone besides maybe Jeff Daniels. I think uh, Eisenberg is great in this, but I think uh, Garfield and Timberlake make this movie uh, in many ways. Mm. Um, their characters, I just think, I, I think of, I I think of the Eisenberg character as almost the uh, you know the the middle of those two characters in a tug of war, and um, and it's it's a He's really interesting dynamic and uh, and done really really well. So, yeah, love the social network. Courtney, some thoughts? I think that uh, I definitely remember, like you said, Timberlake's performance as a real standout here. And it's through his role that you get to Dakota Johnson's small little role here. Um, I think that the scene that they share together is is funny. I think that they have a, a good chemistry for that little scene, the, the little bit there together. Um I also, and this is a conspiracy theory, I think that The Social Network is a prequel to Now You See Me. Mm. I think you're wrong. I think after Jesse Eisenberg kind of lost it with, uh, you know, going crazy with power over inventing Facebook, I think he turned to magic and decided he wanted to go steal a lot of stuff. Mm. And so it's, it's all... A, uh, a prequel to Lex Luthor, I think. Yeah. So it all ends up there. Uh, there you go. That is a social network, which means we had it all at number two. So we're on to our number ones. Andrew, kick off your number one with... <clears throat> Bad times at the El Royale. Me too. It's, it's crazy because I came here before the show expecting to have to defend why this movie was going to be my number one. Uh, and now I'm flabbergasted and I have no 
really reason to talk about the movie. Um, but no, I think that if you were to put Social Network and Bad Times in front of me right now, I think I would rather watch Bad Times at the El Royale. I think that the uh, the tension, the uh, the mystery of it all is very fascinating. And I love the dichotomy between uh, it's California and Nevada. Uh, Nevada, thank you. Um, so you have this uh, the whole movie is based around making choices, uh, one choice or another. And, and it's just such a great, great uh, dynamic you have. Uh, and then all the performances are really good as well. I, phenomenal performances. In many ways, I think most of this cast, uh, it's one of their best, if not best performances in their careers. I love Hemsworth in this. I love... Yeah love lewis pullman in this um i oh he's so good love john ham in this um you didn't at first <laughs> until i knew what he was doing until i knew what he was doing so by the end of the movie i'm like oh that's genius um yeah. so yeah i and and beyond that i think it's one of the most intelligently structured and themed movies i've ever seen um the way this movie plays with choices and dichotomies and the line down the middle and which side are you on what is good what is bad what is white what is black what is you know uh you know uh, immoral what is moral how does a coin flip land all of that stuff is so intricately woven into a story that just works it's tense it's interesting the structure works um this is this is one of the, my favorite movies of all time i just think bad times is is great so yeah i i especially love uh jeff bridges as the oh, you know the, yeah. the priest oh wait mm-hmm. maybe not mm-hmm. um this is also i want to say the most quentin tarantino non-tarantino <laughs> movie i have ever it's seen in my there. life it's so I, up there i had to keep looking at it going this isn't a tarantino movie are you sure until once upon a time in hollywood though Tarantino can't make this movie. There's too much heart in this movie. Tarantino does didn't know how to, in my opinion, put this kind of heart in a film. He knew how to do the, you know, the needle drops and the, you know, crafting the the tension and those kind of stuff. But this movie has heart that I don't think uh, a Tarantino movie had until Once Upon a Time. Um, so, so yeah. And a lot of that heart comes from Cynthia Arrivo or Arrivo. I don't know how to say her last name. Sorry, I think it's Arrivo, but. Arrivo, yeah. yeah. A lot of the heart comes from her and the scene where Dakota Johnson is behind the two-way mirror holding the shotgun and she's just singing and smacking her foot on the ground and clapping. Ah, that's how you do tension right there, ladies and gentlemen. That's how you do tension right there. And this movie is so good at its reveals. Everything it reveals, it Mm. reveals at the perfect time for the audience. Um, I just said, man, I want to see Drew Goddard do more of this stuff. I really do. I think he's he's really smart and uh, crafts some really interesting stories. So, well, um, when you talk about like most of the time when you ask somebody, "What was your favorite part of the movie?" or "What do you remember the most?" most people aren't going to say the editing. This is a very sharply edited movie. This is mm -hmm. you know you walk out of it and you go. That was put together really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Was it your number one too, Courtney? No, my number one was Cha Cha Real Smooth. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, it's a good one. I have a very soft spot for Apple TV Plus's dramas. I loved Coda. Coda, I, 
I was thrilled when that won the Oscar for Best Animated Picture. I love Cha Cha Real Smooth. Um, they had what was the other drama um, about the the two brothers who their father died and they had to go bury him um, with Ethan Hawke and and Ian McGregor. Um, it's not coming to my mind, but that's another Apple TV Plus mm-hmm. uh, drama film, and I felt like Dakota Johnson was great in this. The you talk about heart. I mean, the amount of heart that she displays as as not just a mother in here, but a mother who's raising a, a daughter who has special needs and trying to figure out what her marriage looks like going forward, trying to navigate the complicated feelings she has for this newcomer whose job is dancing at bar mitzvahs and getting the party started. I just, everything that could go right with this movie went right for me. And Dakota Johnson is a very, very big part of that. I love her whole emotional appeal in this movie. Uh, it was definitely in my honorable mentions. I, I like cha-cha. I think it's a, um, a really fun, interesting movie, a good perspective. And I really enjoyed watching it. Um, so yeah, that is cha cha real smooth, uh, at number one. Um, you guys said you'd only seen, seen is, uh, you guys said you'd only seen five Dakota. None of you saw any of the 50 shades movies. Nope. Just, just a little too hetero for my taste. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. There you go. There's the best ever uh, Dakota Johnson films. All right, let's uh, bef- let's finish up with some buried treasure, guys. What's that one thing in any area of pop culture that you want to make sure people know about it? Uh, Courtney, you're our guest, so you will finish us off. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go first. I'm just going to take the big one. Sorry if I'm Aaron. stealing it from you, uh, Andrew, but uh, I don't actually remember your relationship to this property, but I have to talk about uh, The Last Airbender on Netflix, um, which came out yesterday i think and i've already watched all eight episodes because i just love this material um uh yeah i binged four or five last night and then i binged the other you know four three or four today um i have lots of thoughts on this but i will say overall i'm glad it exists it's interesting to me to see the story told compressed like this from 20 episodes to eight Although those 20 episodes were much shorter episodes, um, but they all had to have kind of conclusions to them. And so you're missing a lot of kind of the adventures of the week kind of stuff and really going more for the overall world building and uh, adventuring they're doing. It changes a couple of the world building dynamics, but not a ton. Um, and that's why I'm kind of a mixed feelings on this, because as much as I love seeing these characters who, by the way, not like it was a... a a tough uh, limbo bar to, to get under um, or over, but the uh, you know the characters here match the characters so much better than the M Night adaptation. Sokka and this is finally like funny and gregarious and a dork and like you know um, like he has to find his cool, which is what uh, one of the things I loved about the character. Uh, Ang, and yes, it's Ang, uh, not Ong, as apparently it was in the M Night movie. Uh, that you keep referencing a movie. I don't know what movie you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, you're right. It doesn't exist. It was that was a fever dream I had one time. Um, but uh, but he's a kid here, and he's having fun, and it just feels like the Ang from the cartoon series. 
everybody seems to work um you know right right down to ang's childhood friend boomy it just it just every every character they bring on screen feels like a perfect live uh, representation of those characters my double mind is there's always that's part of me that's like but did but did i need to see the same story again and i guess like at the end of the day at the end of the day yeah when it's this property i'll see it told as many times as you want like i'm just i i, I really like this world i think the structure of these characters and what they go through and and you know we're dealing of course a lot uh with um zuko's uh you know transition from you know evil to compassion um a lot of that happens in season one and is one of the primary things we're going through here um the uncle iroh stuff is really beautiful here um there's there's references that are fun and interesting we we get a secret tunnel we you know we get the song secret tunnel we get we get little um wafts of leaves on the ground when uncle iroh is talking to uh zuko about um you know different meaningful things and you kind of hear his song uh that if you've watched the the uh, animated series you know you're probably already crying um because it's just that beautiful and that wonderful and so to have it in the score when those conversations are happening was a really smart you know manipulation uh that they do um so yeah i had a really really fun time watching it and then they're just on the occasional moment of yeah but it's just the same it's i'm not learning anything new and so i'm kind of like okay excited to see if we do all three seasons and i hope we do and then i'm excited to see like do we do cora do we do between you know this and cora like do we go out into the world a little bit more and find some new things um so yeah and i haven't even touched on the how the creators walked out of the project and kind of what they were upset about mostly because none of that is set in stone it's just kind of rumors of you know where the differences were um but i think it turned out okay i really think it turned out okay um what are you two's relationship to the the material and are you planning on watching this slash have you watched any of it i was gonna watch uh but then the fire nation attacked um <laughs> no i've never seen i think i've seen the pilot of the animated uh but it is something i've really wanted to just because it's so heavily praised by mm -hmm. everybody who has seen it they're like Oh no! You need to watch Avatar because it is phenomenal. And I'm like, okay, I'll get around to it. And it's just one of those things. So with this live action, is this first uh, season? I know it's only eight episodes. Is it a remake of the first season of the show? Yes. Or is yes, pretty okay. much. Yes. The the through point is the through point of the first season. Yeah. Okay. Which so was the so was this uh, movie that didn't exist. Um, from famed director M. Night Shyamalan. That was it's also just the first season. Yeah. I'm so confused you keep bringing that up. <laughs> um, I, I, I have to say, I've never seen the M. Night Shyamalan movie. Good. And I have no desire because it doesn't to. Exist. <laughs> because it doesn't yeah. exist. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so here was my original plan was I was going to stream this tonight starting right around five o'clock central. <laughs> and this guy emailed me when I was in a coffee shop this afternoon. And said, hey, we've got a podcast. Would you like to fill in? Uh, and I said, sure. And so I haven't seen it yet, um, but now you know why. You um, I, I would be very excited to see um, 
if they do end up following through and they come up to Cora, if they're going to do Cora, uh, now that the announcement has come out that they are making new animated movies set with the original characters, but in their twenties and thirties, it'll be interesting to see if this live action follows those or if they follow the graphic novels, like the promise, it just, there's, there's so many directions they could go through with this. And this is such a vibrant property. Um, this is such a vibrant property that it seems like everybody walked away from this project, got to do something they wanted to do. Netflix got to keep its live action uh, avatar project intact and people seem to like it. Okay. Uh, it kind of like one piece, everybody seems surprised at, at the quality and what they were able to accomplish. But at the mm-hmm. same time, the original creators, even though they walked out, guess what? They're back at Nickelodeon studios now, and they're getting to make some more movies with their own perspective on the animated avatar version. Mm-hmm. So best of both worlds. And how often does yeah. that happen with stuff like this? Yeah. It'll be interesting to continue to see. Uh, Andrew, what is your buried treasure? I love heist movies, guys. I really do. And I was trying to make a list of the best heist movies of ever. You know, Inception, uh, Heat, all of these movies. But when I was thinking about what is the best bank heist movie, because Inception's in a heist of the mind, so that one didn't count. I'm going to go with Inside Man. I think Inside Man is one of, if not the best bank heist movies I think that Denzel Washington and Clive Owen are spectacular together in this. Uh, Jodie Foster. I found the Jodie Foster's character in the Christopher Plummer, that side story arc to be so fascinating. And I just really wanted to know more and more as the movie progresses. I think that it is a very bold choice for Spike Lee to make a movie where halfway, like halfway through the movie, he starts doing interviews with the people from the bank. Like after they were, uh, held hostage and he, he interweaves that like as the movie is progressing and it's a very bold choice. And I think that it's really smart for him to do it that way. Um, so yeah, if you've never seen inside man and you are a fan of bank heist movies, I know Aaron will back me up on this, that it is a phenomenal film. It's great. It's a great movie. I was uh, really hoping you were just going to undercut him there and be like, yeah. no, actually I don't like it. Inside man I know Aaron is too well. terrible. Um, worst twist ever. Um, but, uh, no, it's, it's phenomenal. It's a really great movie. Really well done. Uh, Courtney, what's your buried treasure? I know that there have been some mixed opinions on, uh, Kevin Smith's He-Man reboot, his masters of the universe revelation. Uh, I loved it. I, now that we have part three out masters of the universe revolution, I feel like he's finally gotten his He-Man reboot where it should have been to begin with, uh, where he is just pulling out all the stops. He's bringing in characters from the Courtney Cox live action disaster with Dolph Lundgren. That was Masters of the Universe in the 80s. Um, And he is bringing all of these character arcs to a satisfactory, if not conclusion, then advancement. Uh, I love what he's done with Tila. I love the crazy amount of voice talent there is in this show. You've got Mark Hamill, you've got Chris Wood, you've got Sarah Michelle Geller. Uh, but by far my favorite part of this new He-Man reboot that is on Netflix right now uh, has been the transition of evil Lynn to just Lynn. And uh, she's voiced by uh, Lena Headey. 
who is, uh, of course, Cersei Lannister mm. from Game of Thrones. She has just killed this role and given this character so much heart. I probably go back and rewatch clips of her at least once a month, if not once every other month, because she has done such a great job with this character in this action-packed reboot that is campy and it's fun, but it also has heartfelt moments that really almost make you tear up and ask yourself, wait, this is He-Man, right? Why am I tearing up over He-Man? And I'm just looking at this cast and it is stacked. Kevin Smith knew what he was doing. He still does. I hope he gets a part four and continues to know what he is doing. Well, there you go. That is uh, Masters of the Universe Revolution. Is that what you said? Master of the, of, uh, the Universe yes. on Netflix, uh, I believe is where you can check that out. Inside Man is streaming on Stars. We're available on VOD. And the new Avatar The Last Airbender live action series is eight episodes on Netflix as well. Well, there you go, guys. We did it. We did a podcast. Ooh. Congratulations to everybody. We didn't even have to see into the future to make it happen. So... Look at us go. We managed to do it. This podcast is better than that movie. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows in the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Andrew for hanging out again today. Oh, thank you, buddy. Big thanks to producer Phil for producing the audio and video show. Thanks, Phil. Uh, thank you to Courtney Lanning for coming by Woo! today. Uh, Courtney, where do you want uh, people to find you on the interwebs? You can find me on Twitter or whatever it's called now under Courtney Movies. One word. Right. Come come watch all my controversial animation opinions and fun movie takes. Like, Madam Web wasn't that bad after all. And there you go. Uh, Courtney Movies, at Courtney Movies on social media. Always good to have you on. Thanks for coming by. and for uh, And skipping the uh, Avatar watch to be with us uh, today. Uh, much love and gratitude to our Sift Pop members as well. That happens at Patreon, patreon.com slash Sift Pop. Sports starts at three bucks a month. So you can check that out there. Lots of fun little things go on for our members there. Uh, You can have an impact by connecting with us through leaving a comment, a a rating, or a review wherever you listen. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever that might be. You can email us, feedback at sifpop.com if you have any questions. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like the show too. So let them know about it and that listening is much easier than finding a cameo that Matt Damon would turn down. Uh, We will be back next week with uh, more movies and more fun. And we will see you then. Bye. 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 Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.